0: SECTION 2 OF FOLKLORE AND LEGENDS ENGLISH THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG FOLKLORE AND LEGENDS ENGLISH BY CHARLES JOHN TIBBETS SECTION 2 A DISSERTATION ON FAIRIES BY JOSEPH Ritson, ESQUIRE Part one. The earliest mention of fairies is made by Homer, if, that is, his English translator has in this instance done him justice, where round the bed whence Achilles springs, the watery fairies dance in mazy rings. Iliad, b. twenty four, six seventeen these nymphs he supposes to frequent or reside in woods hills the sea fountains grottoes etc once they are peculiarly called naiads dryads and nereids what sounds are those that gather from the shores the voice of nymphs that haunt the sylvan bowers the fair-haired dryads of the shady wood or azure daughters of the silver flood End quote odysseus b six one twenty two the original word indeed is nymphs, which it must be confessed furnishes an accurate idea of the phase phase or fates of the ancient French and Italian romances, wherein they are represented as females of inexpressible beauty, elegance, and every kind of personal accomplishment united with magic or supernatural power such for instance as the calypso of homer or the elcina of ariosto agreeably to this idea it is that shakespeare makes antony say in allusion to cleopatra quote, "to this great fairy i'll commend thy acts" end quote. meaning this grand assemblage of power and beauty such also is the character of the ancient nymphs spoken of by the Roman poets, as Virgil, for instance, Quote, Fortunatus et il, Deus qui novit agrastis, Panaque Sylvanumque senem, nymphasque sorores. End quote. Georgia 2, 493 they likewise occur in other passages as well as in Horace quote, Gelidum nimus nympharumque levis cum satiris qui quote Camina 1, 0, 1, 5, and still more frequently in Ovid. Not far from Rome, as we are told by Courier, was a place formerly called ad nymphis, and at this day, Santa Nympha, which, without doubt, he adds, in the language of our ancestors, would have been called the place of fays. recherches des Antiquites de Vienne, Lyon, sixteen fifty nine. The word fei, or fay, among the French, is derived according to Du Cange from the barbarous Latin fadus or fada in Italian fata. Gervais of Tilbury, in his Ocea Imperialia, D three C eighty eight, speaks of quote, some of this kind of larvae, which they named fadae. We have heard to be lovers, end quote and in his relation of a nocturnal contest between two knights, c. ninety four, he exclaims, What shall I say? I know not if it were a true horse, or if it were a fairy, fadus, as men assert. From the Roman de or de Lessignan, manuscript, du Conge cites, Les châteaux fut fatuin si comme il est partout retrait Hence he says, Ferry for spectres. Quote, Plusieurs parlant de Guiner, de Lou, de Lagne et de Renard, de ferry et de messongers, de fantômes, et de messenger. End quote. The same Gervas explains the Latin fata fe, French, a divining woman an enchantress or a witch d three c eighty eight master wace in his histoire des ducs de normandie confounded by many with the roman de Rue describing the fountain of Barrington in Bretagne says quote, in la forest et environs mais je ne sais par quelle raison la scuie de fait veiller sur beton no etc in the forest and around i wot not by what reason found there may a man the fairies spy if britons do not tell a lie but it may be difficult to conceive an accurate idea from the mere name of the popular French fay or fairies, of the twelfth century. In Vienne, in Dauphiny is Le Puy des Fées, or fairy-well. These fays, it must be confessed, have a strong resemblance to the nymphs of the ancients, who inhabited caves and fountains. Upon a little rock, which overlooks the Rhone, are three round holes which nature alone has formed, although it seem, at first sight, that art has labored after her. They say that they were formerly frequented by fays, that they were full of water when it rained, and that they there frequently took the pleasure of the bath, than which they had not one more charming. courrier Recherche, etc., Pomponius Mela, an eminent geographer, and in point of time far interior to Pliny, relates that beyond a mountain in Ethiopia, called by the Greeks the High Mountain, burning, he says with perpetual fire, is a hill spread over a long tract by extended shores, Whence they rather go see wide plains than to behold the habitations of pans and satyrs hence he adds this opinion received faith that whereas in these parts is nothing of culture no seats of inhabitants no footsteps a waste solitude in the day and a mere waste silence frequent fires shine by night and camps as it were are seen widely spread cymbals and tympans sound and sounding pipes are heard more than human b3c9. These invisible essences, however, are both anonymous and nondescript. The Panates of the Romans, according to honest Reginald Scott, were the domestical gods or rather divils that were said to make men live quietly within doors but some think that larries are such as treble private houses larv are said to be spirits that walk only by night vincili tere are such as was robin goodfellow that would supply the office of servants specially of maids as to make a fire in the morning sweep the house grind mustard and malt draw water etc these also rumble in houses draw latches go up and down stairs etc discovery of witchcraft london fifteen eighty four page five twenty one a more modern writer says the latins have called the fairies laries and larvae frequenting as they say houses delighting in neatness pinching the slut and rewarding the good housewife with money in her shoe treatise of witches sixteen seventy three page fifty three this however is nothing but the character of an english fairy applied to the name of a roman lar or larva it might have been wished too that scott a man unquestionably of great learning had referred by name and work and book and chapter to those ancient authors from whom he derived his information upon the roman panates etc what idea our saxon ancestors had of the fairy which they called elf a word explained by lie as equivalent to lamia larva incubus ephiotes we are utterly at a loss to conceive the nymphs the satyrs and the fauns are frequently noticed by the old traditional historians of the north particularly saxo grammaticus who has a curious story of three nymphs of the forest and Hother, king of Sweden and Denmark, being apparently the originals of the weird or wizard, sisters of Macbeth. B. 3, page 39. Others are preserved by Olanus Magnus, who says they had so deeply impressed into the earth that the place they have been used to, having been apparently eaten up in a circular form, with flagrant heat, never brings forth fresh grass from the dry turf. This nocturnal sport of monsters, he adds, the natives call the dance of the elves. B. 3 C. 10. In John Melasius any man may read of devils in Sarmatia, honored, called Cutri or Kibaldi, such as we pugs and hobgoblins call their dwellings be in corners of old houses least frequented or beneath stacks of wood and these convented make fearful noise in the buttries and in dairies robin good fellows some some call them fairies in solitary rooms these uproars keep and beat at doors to wake men from their sleep seeming to force locks be they ne'er so strong and keeping christmas gambles all night long pots glasses trenchers dishes pans and kettles they will make dance about the shelves and settles as if about the kitchen toast and cast yet in the morning nothing found misplaced haywood's hierarchy of angels 1635 fo page Five seventy-four. Milton, a prodigious reader of romance, has likewise given an apt idea of the ancient phase. Quote, Fairer than famed of old or fabled since, of fairy damsels met in forest wide, by knights of Logris and of Leons, Lancelot or Peleus or Pellinore. These ladies, in fact, are by no means unfrequent in those fabulous, it must be confessed, but at the same time, ingenious and entertaining histories. As for instance, Melusine or Melusine, the heroine of a very ancient romance in French verse and who was occasionally turned into a serpent, Morgan La Fay, the reputed half-sister of King Arthur and the lady of the lake so frequently noticed in sir thomas malory's old history of that monarch le grand is of opinion that what is called fairy comes to us from the orientals and that it is their genies which have produced our fairies a species of nymphs of an order superior to those women magicians to whom they nevertheless gave the same name in asia he says where the women imprisoned in the harems prove still beyond the general servitude a particular slavery, the romancers have imagined the paris who, flying in the air, come to soften their captivity and render them happy. Fablio 12MO one twelve. Whether this be so or not, it is certain that we call the aurora borealis, or active clouds in the night, peri-dancers. After all, Sir William Ousley finds it impossible to give an accurate idea of what the Persian poets designed by a peri, this aerial being not resembling our fairies. The strongest resemblance he can find is in the description of Milton in Comus. The sublime idea which Milton entertained of a fairy vision corresponds rather with that which the Persian poets have conceived of the Peris. Their port was more than human as they stood. I took it for a fairy vision of some gay creatures of the element that in the colors of the rainbow live and play in the plighted clouds. End quote disraeli's romances page thirteen it is by no means credible however that milton had any knowledge of the oriental Peries, though his enthusiastic or poetical imagination might have easily peopled the air with spirits there are two sorts of fays, according to m le grand the one a species of nymphs or divinities the other more properly called sorceresses or women instructed in magic from time immemorial in the abbey of poissy founded by st louis they said every year a mass to preserve the nuns from the power of the fays when the process of the damsel of orleans was made the doctors demanded for the first question if she had any knowledge of those who went to the sabbath with the fays or if she had not assisted at the assemblies held at the fountain of the Fays, near Domprin, around which dance malignant spirits." The Journal of Paris, under Charles VI and Charles Seventh, pretends that she confessed that, at the age of twenty-seven years, she frequently went, in spite of her father and mother, to a fair fountain in the county of Lorraine which she named the Good Fountain to the Face our Lord. 1b, page 75. Gervas of Tilbury, in his chapter of Fonds and Satyrs, says, There are likewise others whom the vulgar call Follets, who inhabit the houses of the simple rustics and can be driven away neither by holy water nor exorcisms and because they are not seen, they afflict those who are entering with stones, billets, and domestic furniture, whose words for certain are heard in the human manner, and their forms do not appear. Otia Imperialia, D, 1, C, 18. He is speaking of England. This follet seems to resemble Puck or Robin Goodfellow, whose pranks were recorded in an old song and who was sometimes useful and sometimes mischievous whether or not he was the fairy spirit of whom milton tells how the drudging goblin sweat to earn his cream bowl duly set when in one night ere glimpse of morn his shadowy flail hath threshed the corn that ten day laborers could not end then lies him down, the lubber fend, and stretched out all the chimney's length, basks at the fire his hairy strength, and crop full out of doors he flings, ere the first cock his matin rings. End quote. The allegro is a matter of some difficulty. Perhaps the giant son of the witch that had the devil's mark about her, of whom there is a pretty tale, that was called lob lee by the fire was a very different personage from robin goodfellow whom however he in some respects appears to resemble a near female relation of the compiler who was born and brought up in a small village in the bishopric of durham related to him many years ago several circumstances which confirmed the exactitude of milton's description she particularly told of his threshing the corn churning the butter Drinking the milk, etc. And when all was done, quote, lying before the fire like a great rough hurgan bear. End quote. In another chapter, Gervais says, quote, As among men, nature produces certain wonderful things, so spirits, in airy bodies, who assume by divine permission the mocks they make. For behold, England has certain demons, demons I call them, Though i know not but i should say secret forms of unknown generation whom the french call neptunes the english portunes with these it is natural that they take advantage of the simplicity of fortunate peasants and when by reason of their domestic labors they perform their nocturnal vigils of a sudden the doors being shut they warm themselves at the fire and eat little frogs cast out of their bosoms and put upon the burning coals with an antiquated countenance a wrinkled face diminutive in stature not having in length half a thumb they are clothed with rags patched together and if anything should be to be carried on in the house or any kind of laborious work to be done they join themselves to the work and expedite it with more than human facility it is natural to these that they may be obsequious and may not be hurtful but one little mode as it were they have of hurting for when among the ambiguous shades of night the english occasionally ride alone the portune sometimes unseen couples himself to the rider and when he has accompanied him going on a very long time at length the bridle being seized he leads him up to the hand in the mud in which while infixed he wallows, the portoon departing sets up a laugh, and so in this kind of way derides human simplicity. OTIA imperialia D three C sixty one. This spirit seems to have some resemblance to the pick-tree brag, a mischievous barguest that used to haunt that part of the country in the shape of different animals, particularly of a little Galloway, in which shape a farmer, still or lately living thereabout, reported that it had come to him one night as he was going home, that he got upon it, and rode very quietly, till it came to a great pond, to which it ran and threw him in, and went laughing away. He further says there is in England a certain species of demons, which in their language they call Grant, like a one-year-old fool with straight legs, and sparkling eyes. This kind of demon very often appears in the streets, in the very heat of the day, or about sunset, and as often as it makes its appearance, portends that there is about to be a fire in that city or town. When therefore, in the following day or night, the danger is urgent, in the streets, running to and fro, it provokes the dogs to bark, and while it pretends flight, invites them following to pursue in the vain hope of overtaking it this kind of illusion provokes caution to the watchmen who have the custody of fire and so the officious race of demons while they terrify the beholders are wont to secure the ignorant by their arrival gervas d 3 c 62 gower in his tale of narcissus professedly from Ovid, says quote, As he cast his look into the well, he saw the like of his visage, and when there were an image of such a nymph as though was Fay. Confessio Amantis FO twenty B in his legend of Constance is this passage. Quote, thy wife which is of fairy of such a child delivered is fro kind which stant all amiss ibid fo thirty two b in another part of his book is a story how the king of Armenus' daughter met on a time a company of the fairy These ladies ride aside on fair, white, ambulant horses, clad very magnificently, but all alike, in white and blue, and wore crowns on their heads, but they are not called fays in the poem, nor does the word fay or fairy once occur therein. The fairies or elves of the British Isles are peculiar to this part of the world, and are not so far as literary information or oral tradition enables us to judge to be found in any other country. For this fact, the authority of Father Chaucer will be decisive till we acquire evidence of equal antiquity in favor of other nations. In old days of the King Arthur, of which the Bretons speckin' grit honor, all was this land fulfilled of fairy. The Elf-queen, with higher jolly company, danced full oft in many a gren med. This was the old opinion as I read. I speak of many hundred years ago, but now can no man see none elves mo, for now the great charity and prayers of limitories. And other holy frairies that search in every land and every stream as thick as motes in the sun abeam, blissing halas, chambres, kitchenes, and burras, cities and burgas, castles high and turres, thropes and burnas, sheppens and dairies. This maketh that there been no fairies. End quote. Wife of Bath's tale. THE FAIRY MAY BE DEFINED AS A SPECIES OF BEING PARTLY MATERIAL, PARTLY SPIRITUAL, WITH A POWER TO CHANGE ITS APPEARANCE, AND BE, TO MANKIND, VISIBLE OR INVISIBLE, ACCORDING TO ITS PLEASURE. IN THE OLD SONG PRINTED BY PECK, ROBIN GOODFELLOW, A WELL-KNOWN FAIRY, professes THAT HE HAD PLAYED HIS PRANKS FROM THE TIME OF MERLIN, WHO WAS THE CONTEMPORARY OF ARTHUR. Chaucer uses the word fairy as well as for the individual, as for the country or system, or what we should now call fairyland, or fairyism. He knew nothing, it would seem, of Oberon, Titania, or Mab, but speaks of, quote, Pluto that is the king of fairy and many a lady in his company, following his wife, the queen Proserpina, etc., end quote. The Merchant's Tale, one, one o one o one. one o one o one. From this passage of Chaucer, Mr. Turwitt, quote, cannot help thinking that his Pluto and Proserpina were the true progenitors of Oberon and Titania. End quote. In the process of the Wife of Bath's Tale, it happed the knight, quote, in his way to ride in all his care under a forest side whereas he saw upon a dance go of ladies four and twenty and yet mo toward this like dance he drowful full yearn in hope that he some wisdom should learn but certainly ere he came fully there evanish vanished was this dance he wist not where these ladies appear to have been fairies though nothing is insinuated of their size Milton seems to have been upon the prowl here for his forest side. In A Midsummer's Night Dream, a fairy addresses Bottom the Weaver, Hail, mortal, hail, which sufficiently shows she was not so herself. Puck, or Robin Goodfellow in the same play, calls Oberon, King of Shadows, and in the old song just mentioned, the King of Ghosts and Shadows and this mighty monarch asserts of himself and his subjects but we are spirits of another sort the fairies as we already see were male and female their government was monarchical and oberon the king of fairyland must have been a sovereign of very extensive territory the name of his queen was titania both are mentioned by shakespeare being personages of no little importance in the above play were they in an ill humour? Thus encounter, Oberon, ill met by moonlight, proud Titania, what jealous Oberon, fairy, skip hence! I have forsworn his bed and company. That the name Oberon was not the invention of our great dramatist is sufficiently proved. The allegorical Spenser gives it to King Henry the Eighth. Robert Greene was the author of a play entitled the scottish history of james the fourth intermixed with a pleasant comedy presented by oberon king of the fairies he is likewise a character in the old french romances of juan de bordeaux and ogier le danois and there even seems to be one upon his own exploits roman oberon what authority however shakespeare had for the name titania it does not appear nor is she so called by any other writer he himself at the same time as well as many others gives to the queen of fairies the name of mab though no one except drayton mentions her as the wife of oberon Oh, then i see queen mab hath been with you she is the fairy's midwife and she comes in shape no bigger than an agate stone on the forefinger of an alderman drawn with a team of little atomies, athwart men's noses as they lie asleep. Her wagon spokes made of long spinner's legs, the cover of the wings of grasshoppers, the traces of the smallest spider's web, the collars of the moonshine's watery beams, her whip of cricket's bone, the lash of film. Her wagoner, a small gray-coated gnat, not half so big as a round little worm, from the lazy finger of a maid. Her chariot is an empty hazelnut, made by the joiner squirrel, or old grub, time out of mind the fairies' coachmakers. And in this state she gallops night by night through lovers' brains, and then they dream of love. This is that very mab, that plates the manes of horses in the night and bakes the elf-locks in foul sluttish hair, which once untangled much misfortune bodes. Romeo and Juliet Ben Jonson, in his Entertainment of the Queen and Prince at Althrope, in 1603, describes to come tripping up the lawn a bevy of fairies attending on Mab their queen, who falling into an artificial ring that was there cut in the path began to dance around. WORKS 5-201 In the same mask the queen is thus characterized by a satyr. This is Mab, the mistress fairy, that doth nightly rob the dairy, and can hurt or help the churning, as she please, without discerning, she that pinches country wenches, if they rub not clean their benches and with sharper nails remembers when they rake not up their embers but if so they chance to feast her in a shoe she drops a tester this is she that empties cradles takes out children puts in ladles trains forth midwives in their slumber with a sieve the holes to number and thus leads them from her burrows home through ponds and water furrows She can start our Franklin's daughters in their sleep with shrieks and laughters, and on sweet St. Agnes' night, feed them with a promised sight, some of husbands, some of lovers, which an empty dream discovers. End of section 2